Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, I remember the night that my life changed forever. The night that I received Jesus as my Savior. Uh, we had been in a series of... I mean, I don't know what conjures up in your mind. You might call it revival meetings, but we'd had a, a group into the, our church. Not here. This is where I, I was uh, uh, attending church in, when I was 19 years old back in Missouri. But we'd had a group in all week, a singing group, uh, and then they had special presentation, testimonies. Services typically lasted about two hours. and They were really good, um, very powerful, very challenging, uh, challenging to me. Uh, I, at this point in my life, about three months earlier, I had, um, all of a sudden, I was listening to a sermon, and the the preacher had said, um, are you sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? And I'd been attending church for 15 months or so, and for the first time, that hit me, like, whoa, I don't have that confidence. And I talked myself into that confidence somehow before, but at this point, all of a sudden, I realized God did what he did. He took the preaching of the word and brought it down to my heart, and I was challenged. So this happened about three months before this night I'm talking about. And, and I remember struggling with that. And I, you know, have I received Christ or not? Am, am I saved? Uh, and, and struggling with that, I'd be... I remember being at church or being at Glenda's house and then driving home and on the way home, uh, just a couple times pull over and stop. I said, okay, God, if, if, I, if I wasn't saved before, save me now, you know? If I, and, and it just never fixed the problem. I just continued to have these doubts, have these doubts, have these doubts. But we had these revival meetings and they were pressing hard on, on making sure that you knew the Lord as Savior. And I kind of checked off what I must but that Friday night, they were preaching, and they were challenging. By the end of the week, they were challenging Christians about how you're living your life, you know, and are you living a holy life and living the way God intends for you to live. And, and I wasn't. I was a 19-year-old man, young man, and I wasn't living the way God wanted me to live. Uh, and so down toward the end of the service, they, as they have an invitation time to do the things, I got up and left the service. I was the janitor of the church at this point. They needed a janitor and I needed a job, so I took the job. And I got up and I went down to the furnace room. That's where we stored, you know, the basic cleaning stuff and all that. And I, that was my room. And I went down there and I kneeled down and I... I was talking to God. I said, oh, God, I know I'm not living the way I'm supposed to. You know, I confess this to you and, and talked to them. And, you know, I want my life to. And all of a sudden, I just stopped. And I knew. And I said, okay, God, I know I am not saved. And it's like, it's nothing weird. But to me, it was like the heavens opened and I got through. You know, I said, I know I'm a sinner. I, I've sinned against you. I, I know my sins will send me to hell. I believe Jesus, who the Bible says he is. I believe that he died for my sins and rose again from the dead. And right now I receive Christ as my Savior. I put my faith in him. And I knew something had happened to me. Something had happened. 
And I got up and I left that room and I went back upstairs and I walked into the auditorium like from back over there, if it was our church, and headed down the side aisle over there. And the youth pastor was walking back toward me. And I had a thought that went through my head. I don't have to tell him. In fact, I don't have to tell anybody because they all already think I know the Lord. They already all think I'm saved. I don't need to tell them. And one of the very few times in my life, I can, you know, just a handful of times I can tell you that I heard very, very clearly from the Lord, not audibly, I'm not talking about weird stuff, but I had this very clear, heard it in my head, if you don't tell, you're going to be right back where you were before with the doubts. That was God. And I told the youth pastor, hey, I received Christ tonight. And I tell you, at that moment, it was just like it, it locked it down in my soul. And I have never doubted it since. Something happened to me. Something happened in my life when I received Christ. And that's what we talked about last week. I am saved. I am saved forever from the eternal penalty of sin. And, and today we want to start talking about the process that follows this. That I am saved, I am saved from the penalty of sin, but also I am still being saved, right? And we talked about that last week, and if you weren't here, let me encourage you, I don't always do this, but I encourage you, if you missed last week's sermon, go watch it, okay? Because it's really foundational to a lot of the stuff we're talking about today. So... We're going to talk about this process of I am being saved. What does this mean in our lives? And to, to get a sense of this, we really have to understand what happened to us when we received Christ as Savior, if you have, okay? So let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians, excuse me, excuse me 2 Corinthians. And um, if you don't have a Bible, we really encourage you to pick up the one under the chairs in front of you and follow along. When, when we have verses we're going to read like this, there'll be a page number on the screen so you can find that, okay, and follow along. It could be very, very helpful to you. So what happened to us that moment we received Christ? We know penalty of sin paid for forever. We get that. But now let's look here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's start in verse 21. It says, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so we can look elsewhere in the Bible, it clarifies this, that the Holy Spirit is the one who has sealed us. And this idea of sealing, um, I mean, when I used to uh, work for General Mills many, many years ago, uh, we would pack trucks with flour I mean, the bags of flour, right? The different products. Pack it, close the door, and then they would put a seal on it, okay? And that seal was not to be tampered with until, you know, they got to where it's supposed to go and, and broken. So the idea of a seal is to guarantee that, you know, this is going to make it from where it is to where it's supposed to go. That's the idea. And so he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit, he given us the Spirit where? In our hearts, the Holy Spirit actually came into us. Now, I experienced that that night when I received Christ. Now, I didn't understand what all that meant. I didn't, didn't say, ooh, I think the Spirit just came in. No, it wasn't like that at all. But something happened, and I knew it. And what it was is that God himself had moved in 
to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And Paul's talking about the context of, of, of sexual morality and all that here, but I want us to see some, a couple truths that are in here. Verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, I'm going to come back and refer to that earlier, but since it's here now, I thought I'd read it. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So somehow or rather, we became one, me and Jesus, me and the Holy Spirit. We became one when I received him as Savior. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Okay, so when we receive Christ, what? The Holy Spirit takes up residence. That's what we keep saying. God has moved in. Okay, he says, whom you have from God and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So it says here that the idea is that from the very moment I became his purchased possession, he moved in. The Holy Spirit of God moved in to me. And we want to understand what that means. In fact, this is so important. This idea that God moves in. And let me just say, the thought come to mind, I'm trusting from the Lord here to say to you, don't think that, oh no, when I got saved, when I received Christ as Savior, I didn't have a sense that God moved in. He doesn't say we have to have that sense. That isn't the point. The point is that if you genuinely, sincerely receive Christ as Savior, He did move in, okay? He did. Now, I'm glad that I had a sense that something had happened. And I think if you look at your own life, you'll say something did happen even if you didn't experience the moment. But this is so important that the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter eight says this, he says, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, go ahead and go to that if you would. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his, you don't belong to God. You see, because to receive Christ as Savior means God moves in, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And if the Holy Spirit hasn't come into your life, guess what? You aren't saved, you have not received Christ as Savior. And if you did receive Christ as Savior sincerely, whether you underknew it or not, He did move in. All right, so when we receive Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit moves in. What does this mean? What did He do when He moved in besides just taking up residence? Well, Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, He saved us, God saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So here's two things that he did the moment he moved in. The first one, it says he regenerated us. And regenerated, you look up that word in, from the Greek language, it's translated, it means a new birth. A new birth. This sounds very much like what Jesus said when he said, unless you are what? Born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And so this is what happens. We receive Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit moves in, and, and we are born again. And it's more than that. This idea of renewing is a making all things new. He moved in and made things new. I don't know about you, but I needed new. You know, I still need new. But I needed his new. All right, so he moved in. It was a new birth, and he made us new. And, and then in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, for by one spirit... We were all baptized into one body, being the body of Christ. Now, this word baptized, don't let this goof you up, okay? 
Uh, the word, when it says baptized here, it's using a word. And it's the word we use for when we baptize people, right? It's the word lots of religions use when they talk about some sort of ceremony where they use water, right? But this is not talking about water here at all. The word baptized, the very basic meaning of it is to put into, okay? To put into something. Doesn't that make sense? Because when we baptize, what do we do with the people? We put them into the water, okay? And so that is what baptism means, to be put into. So what's he saying here? That the Holy Spirit, not only did he move in and regenerate us and renew us, he also took us and did what with us? Put us into Christ. So God moved in and then he also put us into him. Christ in, in the Holy Spirit moved in and then he put us into him. And we're going to see why that's significant in just a little bit. Go to Romans chapter 6. One more thing we want to see and kind of nail down here. What happened when that moment we received Christ, besides having the penalty of sin forgiven. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 3. It says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So once again here, we're not talking about a symbol of water baptism. The Bible does talk about that, but this isn't it. It says that when we received Christ, what happened? We were put into Christ. As many as were baptized into Christ, as many as were put into Christ. When you received Christ as Savior, he, God put you in Christ. Not only was Christ in you, he put you in Christ. Christ. And this is a huge concept in the New Testament and very important as we're going to see. All right, so it says we were baptized in Christ. We were then baptized or put into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism by being put into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so what we see here is that this putting, coming in, that somehow deep down inside of us, he came in and we are intertwined. So much so that, wow, his death kind of becomes my death. And his resurrection, good news, becomes what? My new life. My new life in him. And, and in verse number, uh, what was it, five? Yes, if, we're, if we have been united together. And see, that's what I want you to see. The moment you received Christ as Savior, you were united with him. There was a union made that will never, ever be separated. All right. Now, if we really want to understand this idea, I'm talking about, okay, I, there was this moment in time where I received Christ as Savior, and you can think, when did you receive Christ as Savior? And maybe you don't have exactly those clear memories of it, but you, you know you received Christ. When you did, the penalty for sin is forgiven, right? And you receive eternal life. But it's more than that, see? That's what I want you to see. And this is the beginning of this process that we want to talk about of being saved. He moved in and began to change things deep down inside. So if we're going to understand how this really works, we want to make sure that we understand how we are made up as human beings. You know, how God designed us and put us together. And I think, if we think about it, it's pretty clear to us that for sure, as we think about ourselves, there are two main parts to us. 
And that is, there's the physical part, right? That's this, the flesh and blood and bones, and right? That's out here. And then there is the non-physical part of us. And by the non-physical part, I mean everything that's going on inside. And I don't mean what's the food in your stomach, right? I mean what's going on in your mind and, and your, your emotions and your personality, all this kind of stuff. All that stuff that's inside of us. There's a physical and non-physical or immaterial, sometimes we say. And it's this non-physical part of us that the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay? In other words, this non-physical immaterial part is, is who we are and we live in the body. I don't know if you realize that, that this isn't really you. It's what you live in. Okay? And it's, it's important. I'm not putting that down. It's extremely important. Um, but anyway, so there's a, a non-physical part of us that can leave the body and we continue to exist. That's what he's saying. To be absent. We can be absent from the body and present with the Lord and the body stays behind. Now, not only are these the two main parts, the, the physical and the non-physical, the Bible tells us that in the non-physical realm, there are also two parts. This, this part that we say can be absent from the body, there are two parts. And it is something that we would not know unless God had revealed it in his word. Because inside, in our material, all kind of seems wrapped up together. But God says, no, there's two distinct parts. And it's in Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. And he goes on and talks more about the word of God. But he says that the word of God makes this division. That we, this inward non-physical part of us is two parts. It is soul and it is spirit. What's the difference? Well, there is a significant difference, and we're going to see that in the Word. And so this means that there's the, non, or the physical part of us, that is our body, and then there's the non-physical part of us, which is our soul and our spirit. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 23, Paul's kind of bringing to a conclusion all these things he's been telling his readers in Thessalonica. And he says this, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So let's stop there and make sure we understand what we're talking about. This idea of sanctify, there's a lot of basic meanings, but the idea is it's, it's changing our lives to match what God says they ought to be. We start off one way and God says, well, this needs to change. And so this is a sanctifying process. Now, this word sanctifying is connected as well to uh, this idea of the, the term saints. Okay, same, comes from the same kind of word. And so what it is, it's how he's changing us to be the way he wants us to be, to become the, the, the kind of people he wants us to be. All right, and so he says, I, I, we want to complete this process. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. What's the next word? What's the next word? Completely. So he's going to talk about your whole being. And then he, he elaborates and he says, and may your whole, again whole, your whole person, your spirit, your soul, and body 
be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when the Apostle Paul wants to talk about us as a whole person, he says spirit, soul, and body. Okay? So all three of these are crucial to us. And this process of from the moment we receive Christ and we say, I am saved, to we now say, I am being saved from the power of sin in my life. So, um, let me show you some uh, pictures here, some diagrams to help us to really get this. Because I think understanding these truths are really going to be essential for you being able to experience the Christian life the way the Lord intends for you to. So, let's, let's go back and look at this. All right, so let's go to that first diagram, Bethany. All right, so... This is our basic makeup as human beings. We are a spirit. We are spirit beings. You know, in some sense, I think this is probably a significant part of how we are made in the image of God. Okay? We are spiritual beings. All right? That is the basic makeup. When he made man. Okay? When he created Adam. All right? And not, uh, this, the spirit is that part of us where we can have a direct relationship with God. It is that part of us that we might say is the core of our being. It is our nature. Whatever the condition of our spirit is, is the nature that we have. So when we talk about people being born with a sin nature, what we're talking about is their spirit. Okay, that, that deepest down part of who we are. So not only do we have a spirit, we have a soul. Okay, and our soul are things like our mind, our will, our emotions, it's our personality. This is the area of the psychological, okay, psychological. Now, the Greek word for soul is suke, and so we get our English word suke-logical. Psychology, the study of the soul. I don't know if a lot of people nowadays think of it that way, but that's really what it's about. So this is the psychological part of us in our soul. And it can interact with our spirit uh, as well as outwardly into the next part is our body. Okay, that's the outside of us. And this is the part that interacts with the world, right? This is how God can work through me into your life and how you can, he can work through you into my life. This is how we can communicate and do the things that that God has given us to do. All right, so these are the three parts of us. And so it is in this area that we want to understand what we mean when we say that I am being saved from the power of sin. Go ahead and go to that slide if you would, Bethany. I am being saved from the power of sin. Because sin has really, really impacted more than we know more than we understand by natural means. God reveals these things to us. So let's go back to the diagrams now. So here we are. This is the natural makeup of man. There came a time, in fact, let's, let's take our Bibles and go to Genesis chapter two. Let's just go there. This is on page three that's in the Bible there under the chairs. We're not going to read the whole story, but this is about the creation of Adam, and then Eve is created, and then what they experienced in the garden. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Adam's already been created, and it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely 
what? Die. You will die. You will surely die. All right, so let's see what happens. Chapter 3, we have the temptation of them, and we get to verse number 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And they died. That isn't what it says, is it? Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they're, they're self-conscious. They're hiding from each other. They're hiding from God. Verse 9, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself in the conversation continues. I thought God said that they would die. Didn't he say that? He said, you're going to die. Now, if we went back and looked there in, in uh, verse number, chapter 2, verse 17, when it says, you shall surely die, a very literal translation of that is dying, you will die. I think that's helps us to understand what was going on here. Dying, you will die. Because here they are, they have disobeyed God, God said you will die, and yet here they are standing, self-conscious, aware, breathing, interacting with God. So what happened? They died spiritually. Remember, what's our makeup? Spirit, the core of our being, really our, our deep down identity, who we are and what we're like. Flow, everything flows out of that. And so at that moment, they died spiritually. And what were the immediate results in their lives? All of a sudden, you know, when I talked about when I received Christ, something changed. Well, when they disobey God, what? Something changed. All of a sudden, they become very self-conscious, very self-aware, and it looks like this, right? All of a sudden, there was a sense of hiding and, and, and shame and hiding from each other, and then they, they want to hide from God, and so they are very self-focused, very self-centered. It's now everything revolves around them and what's going on in their lives, and they have what we would call a sin nature. Their spirit died, became dead to God, dead to God. No good thing in there. It is dead. Now, it doesn't mean it isn't functioning. It means it's dead to God, dead to what is good. Now, if someone has an injury on their body, let's say down here on their leg, and, and it gets infected, and at some point, gangrene sets in, what do you have to do? Well, you have to typically try to figure out how to cut out the flesh that's gangrenous. Or if it's too far gone, you have to amputate. Why? Because gangrene will do what? It will spread and corrupt and kill and take the life away from the flesh that it comes into contact with. Well, our spirit died. And very much in the same way, it began to corrupt. So let's go to that next diagram. What we see is that the spirit, this deadness of the spirit, begins to corrupt the soul. And the soul begins dying. It begins experiencing 
and, and how people thought. And, and, and really, we experience this as well, not just Adam, we experience it. So uh, we're being corrupted. Our thoughts are being impacted. Our feelings have been impacted. Again, this reality that deep down inside we are sinful is now coming out into our soul and killing us slowly but surely. And then dying, you will die. So they are dying and they died and now their soul is being slowly but surely killed and one day their body would die. Later in the chapter, he says, you start, your body started off as dust, it's going back to dust. You're going to die. Okay? Now, at this situation, here's where we find ourselves. We, are, oh, we owe the penalty of sin. We have sinned against the holy God, and there's a penalty which must be paid, and we owe it. This is before we receive Christ as Savior, right? We owe this penalty. We are owned by the power of sin. It controls us. It drives us. It... No, that's enough. And one day, we're over, excuse me, we're overwhelmed by the presence of sin in our lives. It just steamrolls us. And it doesn't matter how good we make it look on the outside to other people. This is the reality of where we're at before we receive Christ. Now, what happens when we receive Christ as Savior? What happens? Go ahead and go to that if you would, Bethany. We already saw it today. What happens when we receive Christ as Savior? At that very moment, what? God moves in. The Holy Spirit. And that which is dead is now alive. You remember last week we, we looked at it. John chapter 5 verse 24 says that when we believe we have what? We have passed from life. Excuse me. We have passed from death to life. And so that's what happens that moment we receive Christ. God himself moves in. And our spirit which was dead becomes alive. Okay, we are regenerated. We are renewed there deep down inside of us. And not only that, we saw, not only did Christ come in, but what? We were put into Christ. Go to that next diagram, if you would, Bethany. We are also put in Him. Now we are united with Him. We have a union with Him. We are in Christ. And so this is going to set the stage for uh, everything else that needs to happen. Before we start talking about what's going to happen to our soul and our body yet, let's talk about what it means to be in Christ. Go to that list, if you would, Bethany. Here's a list. What I went through is all I went through is Paul's letters only. And went through and looked at everything it says that is true about us because we have received Christ as Savior. Because we are now in Christ. It's probably too small for most of you to read. Just let me go through it. Because we are now in Christ, we have peace with God. We have the love of God in our hearts. We have a newness of life. We're dead to sin and alive to God. We have eternal life, which is Christ's life. We are free from condemnation. We are free from the law of sin and death. We are now sanctified, called saints. We have a spiritual union with him. We have triumph in life over sin and death. We are able to see and understand spiritual truth. We are new creations. The old has passed away. The all has been made new. We have, and, and deep down inside are, the righteousness of God. We have liberty from rules for measuring up. We have a spiritual union with other Christians. We have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We are chosen. We are redeemed and forgiven. We have an inheritance. We experience the exceeding riches of His grace. And that verse tells us, and we will for all eternity. 
We are near to God and his people. We have boldness in our access to God with confidence. We have an upward calling. We have God's purpose and grace to accomplish it. We have faith. We have grace. We have salvation through faith. Philemon sums it up. We have every good thing. Is this the gospel or what? Right? All those things you did not have when your spirit was dead. But in Christ you are. Not only these things are true of you. Okay? It's important. In your spirit, these things are already true. In your spirit, you look a lot like your older brother Jesus. And I say that because here, here's what happens. Is, is God has promised that those who believe that he might, Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. And actually right before that it says that those who know Christ are predestined to become like him. That list is like Jesus, isn't it? That's the way he is. Well, in your spirit, you're already like him. It's already accomplished. In your spirit, you don't need to try to become more holy. You can't become more holy than you already are in your spirit. You can't become more loving than you already are in your spirit. That's just good news, folks. We're talking about this is down, deep down who you really are and what really going to motivate you and drive you. Now, what do we need to do with this truth? Go to Philippians chapter 2. Now, we haven't got to the soul yet. The soul is a whole other problem. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, talking about you know, we've been saved, we've received Christ. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And on the face of that, you may say, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. Well, you mean the Bible tells us we got to work out our own salvation? Well, it doesn't mean it that way. Here's what it means. You know, there's a the word out has lots of meanings, but one of them means the opposite of in, right? Not in, but what? Out? And he's saying, work your own salvation. Work it, what? Outward. Where were you saved immediately and changed forever? Where, what part of you? Your spirit, right? That's what happened. You were saved. What are you supposed to do now? With that, work it out into your life. Take it seriously. Know that God is working in you to help you work it out, outward into your life. And so this is like, it's like having a bank account that somebody sets up in your name with millions and millions of dollars in it. And it is yours. And you go, oh, that's nice. What do you need to do? You need to take some of that money out and do something with it. See, this is the same thing with what God has done deep down inside of us. So let's go to the next diagram here. Help us understand it. So here's where we're at. The Holy Spirit has come in. We are now alive. He has forever changed us. All those things that are true about us in our spirit because God is there. We are alive. Now it affects our soul. Our soul, which was, go ahead and go to the next one, was dying, begins living. Because that spirit inside of us, remember how when it was corrupt, what did it do? It worked outward and did what? Corrupted everything. Now we have this in Christ spirit and the Holy Spirit in us, and that works out and begins to change our soul. 
in other ways. It changes our minds. It changes how we think. This is not instantaneous. This is the process. But changes how we think. It changes the decisions we make, which all these things then begin to change how we feel about things. And, and our whole psychological being begins to be transformed as we renew our minds. All right? And so this is huge. Now let's think about what this means. Just a couple of examples. So here we are. We've received Christ. We've been saved. Spirit has been born again and renewed. God is in there. We're like Jesus in there. And we begin to believe that and move, let it go out into our lives and change us. So here's an example. And I, I know that some of you struggle. Some of you struggle with guilt. And you struggle with guilt from sins that are way back. And you struggle with sin, guilt for sins that maybe are recent. And you struggle with guilt for the sins you know you're going to commit. I mean, it's bad. And you feel like God is angry with you. God is angry with me. And when you think God is angry with you, do you draw close to him? No. You aren't drawn to pray. You aren't drawn to be in the word when you think God is angry with you. Okay? But what is really true of you in Christ? The very first one on the list was you have peace with God. In Christ, every sin that you ever have or ever will commit has already been paid for. And we go through this list of what it means to be in Christ and a relationship with God. You discover God is not angry with you. Okay, so what's true deep inside? I have peace with God. I have his righteousness. I have this union with him, close relationship with him. God is not angry. I'm going to believe he's not angry with me. And I'm going to sit down this morning with my Bible and say, God, thank you. You're not angry with me. What do you have to say to me today? You see how it's, this is changing? This reality, you believe what's really true and it starts to change. We could apply lots of examples there. We'll do that down the road here a little bit. All right, so this is what Paul says, being sanctified, that our souls would be sanctified. This is what he's talking about. That the reality that has occurred deep within us is true and it works its way out into our lives and begins to change how we live and the things we do. And it even changes then what we do with our bodies. Okay, go to that next one. And our bodies, by the way, have not been saved yet. Our bodies are a party looking for a place to happen. All right? But because we are being changed, we, as Paul says, we bring our bodies under control. And we, we have our bodies do what's good and right. Okay, and that's part of this whole process. Does it feel like this is making sense to you? How God changes and what happens when we get saved. And then this idea, this ongoing process, I'm being saved from the power of sin. We could say I'm being saved from the ongoing consequences of sin, if we want to say it that way. All right, let me tell you where you're headed. When that day when, when Jesus returns for you personally, or for one of our loved ones, when he returns personally for us, or maybe he returns in the rapture for all of us, here's what we're looking at. Go ahead. You see any darkness there anymore? It is gone. And we are like Christ. That's what he said. That's what's going to happen. We are like Christ. We are totally alive. There's no death because we are now being saved from the presence of sin. There's just no sin. It's gone for us. Is that gospel? Is that good news? Yeah, this is coming, folks. When you feel the burden day in and day out. Okay, well enough. That's where we're headed. We're going to talk about that in another sermon.
What about our lives right now? Our lives right now. This is where we live. If you have received Christ as Savior, if you haven't, you're still back on the dark circles. If we receive Christ, this is where we're at. Our soul is becoming alive. Of course, our body will live someday, but we're bringing our body under subjection, making it do what it's supposed to do. This is the process that we are in. This is what God is doing. Well, what is our role in it? What, what's our role? What, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, what we're supposed to be doing is cooperating. Cooperate with God in this process. Well, how do you cooperate with God in this process? The first thing you do is you come back next week because that's what we're going to talk about. Okay? We're going to talk about how do we cooperate with God. And so next week we're going to talk about I am being saved, part two. Part two to this process. Is the gospel good news or what? His huge good news. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and that you reveal these things to us. And thank you, Father, that uh, when you saved us, you did so much more than we realized. Father, I thank you that that night when I received Christ, that my small view of what had happened was not the whole picture. That you've been in work in my life ever since, sanctifying my soul, bringing it greater alignment with what's really already true in my spirit. I pray, Father, you'd help us to understand these things and understand even this week maybe the practical nature of this or maybe nothing else, identify the struggles, Lord. I pray you'd prepare us for seeing how we cooperate with you next week. And I do ask, Lord, if there's anybody here who still has the black circle at the middle, who hasn't received your son as Savior, I, I pray, Lord, they might reach out to us that we could help them with that. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Go out this week and cooperate with God. Try to figure it out.